the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. I will uh, say that Brother Tom ministered that same thing several months ago, and when I heard it, it kind of touched my heart too about not letting an offering go by, because on Wednesdays I was not giving an offering typically, and me and Angie give our tithes and stuff. Sometimes we didn't even give them on Sunday. She, she works in the office, so we just give them. I said, we need to, we need to let the people see that we're tithing. We need to, we, we need to be part of the service and, and tithe in front of the people, just like with the people. And so... And I got to on Wednesday nights, whatever's in my billfold, you know, whatever the Lord puts on me, maybe just a dollar. The other night, I, I didn't have a dollar in my billfold on Wednesday night. I went into my desk and found like two quarters and put it in there. <laughs> ching, ching, ching. But I gave something, you know, because it's the spirit of the thing. And I wanted to, I wanted to be a, uh, I wanted to do like Tom said. I don't want to let an offering go by. Would like to welcome Papa Mark Wilhite is with us this morning. Many of you remember him ministering here not long ago. We're going to get him back again soon. Uh, I think he, he said just got into town after 12 o'clock last night. <laughs> Worn out, I bet. But thank you for coming and being with us this morning. We are honored. Well, we're uh, going to go ahead and pray and get into our, our new series that we started last week called God's Great Plans. Father, we know you have great plans, not just for this church, not just for the body of Christ as a whole, but for each one of us as individuals. Your plan is to prosper us and us being health even as our soul prospers. You want to be with us and guide us and lead us through every step of the journey we call life. You want to give us victory. You want to give us comfort when we need it. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You are great to us. All your plans are, to us are great. We can trust you. We see who you are in the Bible. And that's what we go by, Father God, the Word of God. It is solid foundation. And we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you that you'll teach us from your Word today, that you'll teach us by your Spirit, that we'll have ears to hear, that, that we'll not just hear with our physical ears and then reason things out in our mind, but we'll feel it down in our souls. And we'll know that it is the Word of God. That same word that changed us when we first trusted in you, Jesus. We thank you for what you're going to do in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I'm excited today. We're going to talk about those two great plans. Of course, the, the great plans are the great commandment and the great commission. That's how the church is supposed to operate. That's how we're supposed to operate as individuals. The great commandment, if you, if you uh, don't know, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the Great Commission is to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and make disciples. So uh, that's what we'll be discussing today. And if you're taking notes on your little sheets there, there's a blank that says, what's today's message called? That's the series title. The, today's message is called Love for the Game. Love for the Game. 
You know, I had to quit softball about 10 years ago. I had been working at a desk job, and I was in my 40s, and, and my little old spindly legs had gotten out of shape, and somebody invited me to play softball, and, uh, you know, I've never been what you call swoofed. <laughs> I'm not swoofed at all. In fact, I pretty much had to hit the ball to the fence to assure myself that I could make it to first without getting thrown out. You know, I had to hit it in a gap, <laughs> you know, because... They, they still time my 40-yard dash with a calendar. I don't know why they do that, but I'm, I'm slow I'm trying, what I'm trying to get at. When I run down the first baseline with these size 14s, you know, they're doing this number here. I'm liable to knock the pitcher's hat off and kick somebody in the opposing dugout, you know, down the first baseline. But what bothered me that last day that I played softball was somehow I was running to the next base. I don't know if I walked or how I got on base. But I, I remember running to third base, and, and I knew it was going to be a close play, so I started really chugging, and I was giving it everything I had. You know, I was probably topping out at two or three miles an hour. By, by, by speed, most of you, you probably walk, you know. And I, but I had gotten in motion, and, you know, when you're tall and lanky and goofy and slow like me, you got to start working your way over the hill, you know, before you get your momentum going. And I was going down towards third base, and then I was almost there, so I, my brain said, stop, but my legs said, go. And I couldn't stop my legs, and they were giving me this number here. Have you ever done that? As you get up, man, getting older isn't good. But let me say this. I'm in better shape now. I don't work behind a desk all day. Uh, but it wasn't always like that. In fact, in 1983, uh, I was voted the best baseball player in my whole district in Memphis. And I went to a, a they, they assembled a team called the All-Metro Team. All the players that were voted the best in their district got together, and we played a ball game at Chicks Stadium. Anybody remember the Memphis Chicks? That's who we had as a, a double-A team, I think, before the Memphis Redbirds. And uh, so we got there, and I was kind of in awe of a lot of these guys, you know, because they, they were the best players in their leagues, and their leagues were probably a lot more serious than my league was. And so I was thinking, wow, I'm in the company of some great players. But then everybody was talking about this one guy. This one guy was six foot six, 18 years old. He was 230 pounds, and he threw the ball at least 95 miles an hour. He had already been drafted by major, by several, looked at by several major league teams. And so everybody was, there he is. And they were all looking at him. They were all wanting to go up and talk to him. Of course, when he pitched, he struck out everybody. And we were, but you know what? I, that guy went on to play on the major league team. He not only played major league baseball, he pitched in two World Series. In 1991, and again in 1993. That's a pretty big deal. I remember, you know, cutting the TV on in the, in the World Series and millions of people watching this game, and here comes this guy that I had met on Chick Stadium back in 1983. But do you, you know what I remember most about him? I'm going to tell you when we get to the end of the service. Keep you in suspense. But it's... But it's something important. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He played, uh, I think he played, I can't remember the first team, it was maybe the Mets, and then I know it was the Phillies in 93. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, Apostle Paul has a lot of sports analogies. And he says in verse 25, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we, who's he talking about when he gets to the we? He's talking about Christians like him. He could be talking about his church, wherever he was at. But we do it for an eternal prize. Now what do the athletes do? They're disciplined in their training. So that tells you a little something. If athletes do it for a prize that will fade away, we're doing it for an eternal prize. How much more disciplined should we ought to be? You know, what's that, what's that scripture on your, you know, that uh, saying on the refrigerator that I like so much? You'll either suffer the pain of regret or the pain of discipline. One or the other. You'll suffer the pain of regret or the pain of discipline. So if you don't discipline yourself, you're going to suffer the pain of regret and wish you would have done something with what you were given. In verse 26, he says, so I run with purpose every step. Say purpose. purpose. Are we people of purpose? Are we purple people of purpose? I'm starting to sound like, what's his name? Cosby. All right. So I run with purpose every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm not just punching the air, but I'm making my punches land. Last week, we started with the great commandment. We used a ballpark analogy. Just about everything we're using in this series so far has an uh, athletic connotation. Can we put the, uh, that slide thing back up that we showed last week? Remember, anybody remember what the first ballpark was? Bush Stadium. You don't have to cut the lights out. You can leave them on. But that is a happy ballpark. That's a happy little ballpark. It's filled with happy people, glad to be there. It's alive. It's vibrant. The, play, the place is bustling. And that's the way we want our lives to be. We, we use the ballpark analogy to say that's what our life should be. That's what our church should be. We want as many people. And we talked all last week about making sure that everybody feels welcome in our ballpark. Is this, any, is this coming back to y'all? Was anybody here last week? <laughs> Today, I want to move on to the Great Commission. And I wanted to go straight into the Great Commission, but I couldn't. There's something stopping me. It says, I felt like we got to revisit the Great Commandment a little bit before we do. Why? Because the Great Commission is not great at all without the Great Commandment. If you're going out into the world trying to reach them with no love, well, good luck. All you're going to do is make enemies. The Great Commission is not great without the Great Commandment. The Great Commission won't even work without the Great Commandment. In fact, nothing works without love. Doesn't work right anyway, that I've, especially in the church. Love is the most important ingredient. The church must be a, a house built with love. And we're like little love shacks <laughs> within the church. Look at your neighbor and say, you little love shack, you. <laughs> love shack, baby, love shack. Don't say, Pastor, don't do that. Don't. Let's, let's not do that. But in the church, we're not supposed to be motivated by guilt or obligation. 
but sincere love for one another. Right? That's, that's not how we motivate. If we, if we motivate by guilt and obligation, is, what, what different are we than a, like a social club or something? If there's no love in it, what, I mean, we're just gathering like a social club. Without love, we would, we'd only give the least we could get away with. That's right. right? Some of you may be giving the least. Maybe you need to work on your love walk a little bit. <laughs> we would only serve enough to make us seem legitimate to our brothers and sisters. And when the serving got tough, you know, it actually required something of you, or, or maybe your team leader had to correct you or something, you got your little feelings hurt, you were gone. <laughs> because there was no love in it. You were just doing it to be seen of men. And we certainly won't invite anybody to church without love. Why? Because, hey, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? Love must dictate everything we do. Love is the most powerful force on the planet. Love will cause you to be a cheerful giver. <laughs> Love will cause you to serve in the church singing, This big light of mine. Whatever you're doing. You'd be down there scrubbing the toilets in the church. This big light of mine. I'm going to make it shine. Yeah, this big light. <laughs> the joy of the Lord stems from the love of the Lord. Love will cause you to be so excited about these occupied chairs. Yes. These occupied chairs. That the brothers and sisters that are sitting in these occupied chairs, you'll be so excited about them that you'll have a deep-seated hatred for the empty ones. <coughs> Can't stand these empty purple chairs. Ain't that right, Brother John? That's all you'll think about. You'll be consumed with how many people can I fit in my van to get them to church today? Because you know what this represents. What a lost opportunity. Their whole life could be changed just like yours has. Just like the person sitting in that occupied chair. We've got to see these chairs differently. Love will cause us to begin to hate these empty purple chairs. Love is the only thing that's going to sustain us for the long haul. Your human will and your desire for attention or whatever those things may be. The Bible says without love we're just like a, a crashing cymbal or a noisy gong. It's just this, this noise. We're just white noise. We're just noise. Not even a good noise. You can't sing to a crashing gong. Bang, bang, bang. You can't even get a good rhythm with that. We don't want our lives just to be a bunch of noise and that be it. One of, the, one of the funny things is God started us out right. He wouldn't even let us receive our salvation unless we received it as a gift of his love. We had to see it as a gift. If you try to take your salvation and say, yeah, God, well, I'll say that sinner's prayer, but I'm already good enough to get to heaven. God will say, no, no. <laughs> or if you say, well, I said the sinner's prayer and, I, I'm, and I'm good enough to get to heaven. No, no. You've got to get to the end of self. And you've got to begin in love. You've got to see the love on that cross. It's got to be all about the cross or it ain't happening. 
God began us in love and we're supposed to walk it out in love and we're going to end in love. The hardest hearts in this world can be turned soft by love. It's such a powerful tool. I read an article recently. There was an ISIS soldier about to kill this Christian, behead him. And before he did, the Christian looked up at him and says, I know you're about to kill me, but I want you to have my Bible that's in my pocket when I'm gone. The ISIS soldier killed the Christian. But he took that Bible and he secretly later went to some Christians and says, what do I do with this? Because that man gave this to me, touched my heart. What, what, how do I do this? What do I do with this? What do you do with that kind of love? That kind of love is what changes the world. Years ago, when I first started going to this church, we had a guest minister come in named Matt Gober. Many of you remember Matt Gober. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. But he was the founder of Canaan Land Ministries in Alabama, a great man of God. But he didn't start out that way. He started out as this rough, hairy biker. I mean, he was, the, he was a, a bad dude. Now, I can say that, not that I know him personally, but I heard his testimony. In fact, I'm trying to find a copy of his testimony. We may show it on a Wednesday night or something. It would be awesome. The, the transformation that love made in this guy's life. He was like the enforcer in the biker gang. He would whoop up on folks, maybe shot folks, maybe killed folks. He didn't go that far, but he, he was on drugs. He was selling drugs, and they was just a mean biker gang. They say he used to jump up on the bar at the, uh, the, the bar at the... At the bar. And, and <laughs> he would pretend that he was Jesus on the cross and try to get a laugh out of it. Openly hatred towards Christianity and any moral goodness. In fact, he got so bad on drugs one time, he said that, the, that his own biker buddies locked him in a barn and wouldn't let him out because he had just become like an animal. He said he's lost his mind for a period of time and his own biker buddies just threw him in a locked room and wouldn't let him out until he came to himself. He said he didn't take showers for months, maybe years at a time. He said he had little creatures living in his beard. He had named them. Anybody remember that testimony? Well, this guy, Mac was at the, the room that they were staying. He said he heard a knock on the door. He was frustrated to have to get up. What do you want? He opens the door. And there's this little small African-American woman handing him a, trying to hand him a gospel track. He snatched it out of her hand. He said he smacked the woman down to the ground. True story. Don't be coming to my door. Shut the door and walk back in. No respect for anything. He said a couple of days later, he threw that thing down. A couple of days later, he's at this public thing. I can't remember what he said he was at. A lot of this is fuzzy in my memory. But he said he was standing there, and this one guy was going around handing out tracks. He said the floor was littered with them. Looked like it had been a ticker tape parade with all the tracks that people had thrown down. And the guy came up to him, and he was kind of amazed that this little squirt was going to come up to him because Mac was a big guy. And so he just took it to get it over with. And the guy walked off, and he tried to throw it down. And it stuck to his fingers because he was so nasty and took a bath in so long. Couldn't get it off his fingers, so he just pried it into his pocket. Didn't think anything about it, but when he got home, he said, he thought to himself, why are these people messing with me? That's two people in a row that's giving me these 
pieces of paper. So he pulled it out of his pocket and he, re- he opened it to the place and he read Romans 5, 8. says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it broke the heart of that big man. And he fell down on his face with tears and gave his heart to Jesus. Then he became one of the greatest men of God that I've ever known. God's love will break the hardness out of a person's heart. Turn to Ezekiel 11. Don't take my word for it. We'll see it in the Word of God. Ezekiel 11, verse 19. God says, I will give them singleness of heart. Well, praise the Lord, because I was tired of my heart going off in all different directions. Before I knew Jesus, my heart was chasing everything that looked good. Like a raft out in the ocean, just tossed about by every wave of doctrine that came along. I was looking for something looking for love in all the wrong places. But God says, I will give them singleness of heart, and I'll put a new spirit within them. Then he says, I will take away that stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender and responsive heart. Thank you, Jesus, for changing my heart. Only love can do that. You can't argue somebody the Scriptures and and convince them mentally and change their heart. It is the spirit of love in you. It is the spirit of God in you that can touch a heart. And you know what? The most broken hearts in the entire world, those who have been hurt, they're lonely, they're desperate, most of them can be healed by just a little love. Just a little love. Those people that are putting on a face around you, but you know deep down inside it's, it's just a facade or what, what is it called? A facade? Yeah. I just make up words as we go. <laughs> you know what? Why don't we be the person that says a kind word? Why don't we be the person that reaches out? Instead of being just like everybody else talking about them behind their back. There's a story of a pastor who would preach every Sunday and then he was taking his young 11-year-old son witnessing afterwards. They would go through the neighborhood and pass out tracts. The little boy began to love the feeling that you get for spreading the gospel. And, and many of you know that who've gone out and said, man, this is what I was created to do. And he, the little, little boy was excited, but this one particular day he got ready. and He said, Dad, you ready to go? And the dad says, well, it's raining outside today, son, and it's awful cold out there. We're not going to go today. But he said, but Dad, don't people go to hell on rainy days too? <laughs> and, and the dad said, well, son, I'm not going today. It's too cold out there. He said, well, can I go, Dad? I'll... I'll, I'll I'll put on some warm clothes. Can I go, Dad? I'll, I can do it. I can do it by myself. And Dad says, all right, but be careful. and Be back by so-and-so. And so he gave him a stack of tracks, and the little boy went out by himself in the rain. Sure enough, it was raining pretty hard. It was cold. He was, by the time he was getting toward the end, he had given out his stack of tracks. He had looked on the streets and talked to everybody. and tells everybody he could find Jesus loves him. He had knocked on a few doors. He had one track left, and he was on the way back. 
And he couldn't see anybody on the street, so he went to this one house and he knocked on the door. No answer. He saw a doorbell, so he rang the doorbell. No answer. Well, he was fixing to turn and try another door, and something said to him, hold on. So he went back and he rang the doorbell again. Still nothing. Started to go. Hold on. He waited. Finally, the door opened, and this little old lady with a sad face comes to the door. Yes. And he just lit up. Just something inside him. I'm just here to tell you Jesus loves you, and he hadn't forgot about you, and, and I want to give you this. And he gave her the track, and then he ran off. And she says, God bless you, son. Well, the next Sunday, the pastor's about to preach, and before the service, he said, does anybody in here have a testimony or anything they'd like to share? And the little old lady in the back stood up. She said, Pastor, I don't know anybody here. This is my first time. I've only been a Christian one week. She said, but I want you to know there is an angel in your church. Last week, last Sunday, she said, I had climbed the stairs to go up into my attic with a stool and a rope. She said, I had tied that rope around the rafters and I had made my way up onto the stool when I heard a knocking at my door. And she said, I'll just wait because they'll go away. And she said, then I heard the doorbell ring. And I said, nobody visits me. My husband has passed away and I'm here all alone. Nobody comes to my door. She said, then I heard it again. So I got down and I walked down the stairs and I opened the door and it was the face of an angel. And he told me that Jesus loves me and he's not forgotten about me. And pastor, I want you to know there is an angel in your church. By this time, the pastor was weeping. And he ran to the front row and he hugged his little boy and he was so proud. He had never been more proud in his life of his little son. And I think about how proud our Father in Heaven must have been when his son Jesus came to this dry and weary wetlands <laughs> to save us and to tell us that God has not forgotten about us, but He loves us. See, it's only love that can break through the hardness of man. And it's only love that can restore the brokenhearted. What, there's so many definitions of love. Where do we start? We could just go on and on about love forever. Is it a noun? Is it a verb? Yes. I mean, we could go on and on about the definitions of love. My favorite definition of love is what God says. He says it's I am. 1 John 4.16 says we know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in his love. Haven't you? God is love. I am. And all of you who live in love live in God and God lives in you. So does God live in you today? Well, then we're in the right ballpark.
if we can all grasp and we can all come to the conclusion that we need love to move forward in our lives, then we're in the right ballpark and we're ready to talk about moving out onto the playing field. Could you put that slide back up again? That's what love will do. Go to the next slide. That's a life without love. A, life, a broken heart that never receives any love. Go to the next one. This is the playing field. This is home plate. This is first base. No, this is first base. Second base, third base is backwards. Okay. So my analogy is rough. All right. But we got to get on the field of play. That's where the Great Commission takes place, out on the field. Can I get an amen? It's getting in the game. It's moving people around the bases. It's, it's taking the community out there and inviting them to church so that they can become part of the crowd in here. And then it's once they get in here and become part of the crowd, it's loving them till they want to be part of the congregation. And once they become part of the congregation, they begin to find their gifts and talents, and guess what? They begin to find out that they can be part of the committed. And the committed continue to serve the Lord until they're part of the core, the leadership, the ones who advance the kingdom of God. So it's from the community to the crowd, from the crowd to the congregation, from the congregation to the committed, from the committed to the core of God's heart. And that, my friends, is put, up the next, oh, put that slide back up there. Because it all starts at the gathering. All starts right here. You know, what, you know what we call this? Sunday morning. This is church. That's when we most, most of us all gather, right? So we gather together with the intention on us connecting with one another. Because see, if you just gather a few weeks and you never connect, I'm out of here. But when you begin to connect and make relationships with people, it begins to be your church. It's not Pastor Guy's church anymore. I never wanted it to be my church. It's our church. We, we, I want everyone in here to see this as our church, my church. It hurts me when somebody says, your church. We connect. And from connection, we go to development. That's when you begin to find your gifts and callings and put them into action. See, you were created to serve the Lord. And so you find yourself in that. Then you mobilize. Once you're, you're, you're confident in what God has created you to be and, you know, and you're, you're being discipled by somebody else, you're connected, you're feeling the love, you're wanting to give the love, you're wanting to go out, you're wanting to be mobilized into the community to bring more to the gathering next Sunday. So it becomes a loop. That's how you score. We're a discipleship factory. Or, or a disciple factory. I hate to, it sounds cold to be a factory, but that's what God intended the church to be. He said, go into all the, in fact, let's read it. Matthew 28, verse 19. We'll, we'll, we'll lay our eyes on the Great Commission. 
So you just don't have to take my word for it. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you. And be sure of this, Jesus says. I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. How many likes that Jesus is with you? Well, Jesus is never more with you than when you're out doing what he says do and spreading the gospel. You want more of Jesus? You want to see more of his power in your life? Go make disciples. How many wants more of the Holy Spirit? Want to see more of his power in your life? You want to see more of his power? Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you know the reason the Holy Spirit was given? It says, and you will be my witnesses. Say witnesses. witnesses. What does a witness do? Testifies to something they've seen, something they've felt, something they know. Do you know what happened on your heart? Then you're a witness and it says telling people, not just showing people. A lot of people say, well, you know, just live it out before them. No, it says telling people. How do you tell stuff? I usually tell it with my mouth. You will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. That means at the Walmart. That means at the Walgreens. That means at the Wally World. Wherever you're at. Wherever you go, everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And I'm telling you, when I began pastoring this church three years ago, I began, God began to deal with me little bits at a time. And I was thinking, man, we, we need to reach this community or whatever. But now I've got plans to reach the world. We're not just local. We're going global because that's God's heart. We start here, but we, we don't stop here. Mm. Let's get back to the power of the gathering. We can't get to all of it today. I can't get off on a tangent. How do we get people to the plate? You know, get them up to bat. How do we come up to bat? Because <laughs> we're coming up to bat with them. How do we get to the plate? Well, the Bible describes three types of people. You got those who bear fruit, those who bear no fruit, and those who bear bad fruit. Three types of people. In the church, you got a lot of people bearing no fruit. Did I say that out loud? Not in this church. But you got three types of people, those who share the gospel, those who just sit on the gospel, and those who oppose the gospel. Same thing, fruit, no fruit, bad fruit. Wouldn't you agree? you got three kind of churches that I see too. you got an alive church. you got one that prays and believes and puts their love in action and bears fruit and shares the gospel. That's a live church. Then you got a stagnated church. One who may do some of those things, but it's kind of really lost the fire that they used to have. 
And then you got a dying church. One that simply does not care about what Jesus died for anymore. It has become a social club. They may keep the lights on. They may keep running. But in God's eyes, they're dead. Proverbs 11.30 says, He that winneth souls is wise. So what does that say about he that winneth not souls? <laughs> Thank you for that help. I'm going to ask a renowned atheist what he thinks about Christians that don't try to tell people the gospel. Anybody seen the magic show Pen and Teller? Famous magicians? Well, Penn Gillette uh, is a, he's so proud of his atheism, he talks about it all the time. He's an out-of-the-closet atheist. But this is him filming himself. This is him talking. I didn't coerce this in any way. This is really him. Go ahead. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Mm. How much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them the gospel? That's coming from somebody that doesn't believe the gospel. How much more should we understand this principle? Pretty heavy, isn't it? Pretty convicting. But let's do a survey. I'm going to ask you a question, and if that's you, just raise your hand. We got anybody brave enough to raise your hand in there this morning? Some of you wouldn't raise your hand if I stuck a gun to you. <laughs> but just be honest, this is not a bad question. We're going to find out how you came to the Passion Church. Okay, if, if you came to the Passion Church because uh, we had ministered to you at one of our outreaches, whether it be at the mall or knocking door to door or, you know, one of our jail ministries or anything like that, if you came to know the Passion Church through one of our outreaches, would you do that right there? We got one. Hallelujah. I'll say this. We win a lot of souls on our outreaches, but we're having a disconnect and getting them to church. But we're so happy when they come. We're so thankful. And there's others that are just not here today. So outreach can be effective. 
If you found the Passion Church on the internet, raise your hand. We got one. So our advertising has paid off. If you just wandered in here by accident, raise your hand. If you're telling a lie right now, raise your hand. No, she did. She did. So it can happen. If you found the church because somebody that goes to the Passion Church invited you, raise your hand. There's nobody left to clap. And if your life has been radically changed by Jesus since you've been going to the Passion Church, raise your hand. Amen. What does that tell us? That a personal invitation to church is probably still the most effective witnessing tool to grow in the local body of Christ to advance in the kingdom of God, to change in lives in your community. Just a simple invite to church. I've given you before, I don't remember what they were, the statistics on how many people say they would go to church if somebody would just invite them. The invitation, just a simple church invitation has grown this church. It is a powerful thing. Because you know, many people, they won't move unless they're invited to. I mean, that's why Jesus had to say, come follow me. Because he just wasn't going to assume that they were smart enough to do it. He would preach to 10,000 and they'd be, it's the Messiah, it's miracles and wonders and signs, it's over. Well, I guess we better go home. It's like, no, come follow me. Come follow me. Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Jesus. And that's the way our attitude ought to be. You know, somebody at work, come, come to church with me. Just come to church with me. And Does anybody in here still need an invitation to, to be a part of the church? Are you waiting on some of you that hadn't signed up to, to minister here at the church and use your gifts and abilities? Do you need an invitation? Because I, I see that happens all the time. Somebody's out there plays guitar like Eddie Van Halen or sings like an angel, you know, and, well, I've been going here for 12 years, but nobody ever asked me to play. Well, nobody knew, you know. If there's anybody in here that has gifts and wants to plug them in, I am giving you today an official invitation from the pastor. You go to the leader of that group and say, pastor said he invited me to serve. Yes. Amen, girl. Birthday, girl, when's her birthday? Tomorrow. One years old. I remember it like it was yesterday for me. <laughs> and then I wanted to ask this question before we get go into a different gear here. Is there any reason that you don't feel comfortable inviting somebody to this church, this particular church? Because I will admit in the past when our services was randomly, go, you know, regularly going two and a half to three hours on a Sunday, I had a hard time wanting to invite anybody because I knew my friends would say, y'all are crazy. There were other issues that, you know, 
that made me, didn't make me feel comfortable about inviting people to church. I want us to be a church that you, that you can't wait to invite somebody to. And, and I see that I feel like we are, but you know, it just could be me. And if there is something that is bothering you and a reason that you don't feel secure inviting a friend, you can write a sheet of paper or and anonymously and put it under my door or, or, or something. Give it to somebody to give to me. Call me. Tell me if you just want to talk to me about it. Because the Sunday morning is the gathering place. We don't have to show the whole world everything that we are. This is the gathering place. This is where we start. And we want to make it as welcoming as possible. The most important thing is get people to know, introduce to Jesus. That is what we're trying to do, and we want to make Sunday morning the gathering place. Amen? Now, this is going to be a, a big shift, but the Lord cares about this church. I want to share with you a few things that he has been sharing with me. Like I said, when I became pastor, I didn't understand everything. I just knew that we were supposed to have a mission statement. He gave us a mission statement, and I didn't understand how it all fit. In the past, when we had a mission statement, you know, that was who we are, and that's what we did, and that's, that was the end of it. This is, we're a warm, fun-loving family, and, and so for three years, we've been seeing ourselves as that, and the culture has been changing. You remember back when we wasn't fun? <laughs> we, we weren't necessarily a fun church before, but now I feel like we laugh, and we're relaxed, and warm, Right? We have begun to see ourselves and all these things we talk about all the time. So our culture is changing. God's doing that in us. This is who the church, in fact, I begin to see this as who we are. I thought that was our destination, but I was wrong. It's more like who we are. It answers questions. I, and God began to show me each one of these banners is answering questions. Just sharing with you what the Lord's showing me. I didn't put any of this together. I didn't see it until just last month or so. All right. We're genuine, passionate, and relevant. That's our how. That's how we're going to do what we do. We're going to be genuine to the Word of God. We're not going to compromise the things of God. But we're going to be passionate about souls and people and the things that we do. And we're going to be relevant. Thus, the warm, fun, loving family. We want to be relevant in people's lives. We want to speak in a language that people understand. Does that make sense? We want to be able to touch them where they're at. We don't want to be some dusty old traditional church that people in this generation are, are afraid of. We want to be relevant without changing our genuineness. So, we know who we are. We know how we're going to do what we're going to do. And right here is our why. Because we love, like we're talking about today. We love God we love his people and his purposes. That is why we do what we do. We never forget the why. I started to take that banner down. That's where it all came from. 
I said, well, everybody knows that. Every church has got that same saying somewhere. Let's take that down and put the new banner right there. God says, no, that's your why. You can never forget your why. Don't take down your why. And so then we get to the new banner that nobody has seen. It's covered up by this blue banner so that you can't see it. And it's going to be our where. That's where we're going as a church. It's farther than there. It's where we're going. Well, somebody might say, well, when is all this going to take place? Oh, you want to know the when? Well, thanks for asking. Every time we look to the cross, every time His love moves us is when. Today, tomorrow, the rest of our lives is our when. Now, I'm going to show you the where. Maybe next week. You don't want to miss next week. <laughs> but even if we don't get to it next week, we're going to get to it. But you don't want to miss it. It's our long-term vision. We've already discussed it. But Jesus said, Call unto me, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I will answer. Jesus says, you're my friends. I'm going to tell you my plans. You're not just servants. You're my friends. Did you ever think that simply inviting somebody to church might set a new course for a struggling family for generations to come? I know it did my, my family. Angie's best friend, Tina, she got saved a couple years before we did, I guess. She used to be our drinking buddy, and it was like, what's this, what's this Jesus freak stuff? We didn't understand it. You know, we thought she'd gone weird. She's always been a little weird anyway, so. I say that because she listens to my podcast, and I want to throw that in. I love Tina. But. She invited us to church over and over repeatedly. She, she would not let it go to the point where we finally went just to shut her up. And we went over on Crest Haven or Crestview or whatever, that little small church. We went one time. We said, uh-huh, well, that's nice. You know, it's not our thing. Wasn't our thing. Okay, so we didn't go anymore. Didn't stop her from inviting, did it? And then when my life had gotten to the place where me and Angie were probably about to get a divorce, I was probably about to lose my family. My life, I had come to the end of self. That invitation still stood. And so what did we do? We came back to this church. And God restored our marriage. God saved us. Gave us a holy calling. And here we are, 20 years later, and we're the pastors of this church. You tell me there's not power in a simple invitation? It's the power of the blood. Jesus says, come follow me. Go tell them to come follow me. It's the power of the invitation. It's time we get out there and love somebody. You think, well, I can't do much. Uh, invite, you know, that, that doesn't really seem like real evangelism. Well, we do real evangelism. But you see, we only got one or two. So-called came from real evangelism. What it you don't think everybody else that raised their hand, in, that wasn't real evangelism? 
You don't think you can do real evangelism? Okay, so you can't quote Romans Road in the King James, the New Living and the NIV. But you can tell somebody what Jesus has done for you and you can say, come to church where you, you can hear about this Jesus that I follow. Come follow me as I follow the Lord. Get in the game. Get a love for the game. Remember the title of this message? Get a love for the game. Look up to heaven. Say, put me in, coach. Who would be brave enough to say that with me? Look up to heaven. Say, put me in, coach. Uh, no. See, God's going to need more enthusiasm than that. Say, put me in, coach. The few times I ever sat on the bench when I was playing sports growing up, I was like following the coach down the sidelines. Coach, I'm ready. I'm ready, coach. Come on, coach, coach. Hey, here I am, coach. I'm ready. Come on, give me a chance. Give me a shot. <laughs> I couldn't stand sitting on the bench. Get in the game. The pain of discipline or the pain of regret. All right, let's close. Where was we at about? What was the story I told? Okay, the baseball player that pitched in the World Series, 91 and 93, pretty big deal. I met him face to face. What did I remember most about him? I remember he was a great talent boy. He was impressive. He struck everybody out that day. But the thing that I remember most is that he, he didn't exude a lot of love. He was kind of cocky. He kind of knew that he had gifts and talents. He didn't seem like the kind of person that would ever invite anybody to church. And I say all that to say, this life isn't about impressing other people. It's about loving them. You've all heard stories of somebody great, talent or whatever, but somebody has met them personally and says they're a jerk. What matters the most? That they can impress you or that they can show love? And what do you think is going to matter to God? Bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going I'm to give everyone in here an opportunity to, to come to know that love if you don't already. Because see, that G, Jesus was that little boy that left and came out into the cold and the rain of this earth. And he did more than just pass out tracks. He came and he gave his life as a sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. He hung on a, a cross. And like a sheep is silent before his shears, he didn't say a word. He didn't complain. He didn't argue his case. He let the weight of your sins destroy him as a person so that he could satisfy the wrath of a holy God. See, that wrath was, was yours. God was supposed to pour it out on you for your sins. But he poured it out on his own son so that you could go free. And now he offers you a pardon for your sins. He says, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will take away your sin debt. I will welcome you into my family. It is the gift of God. 
salvation, redemption. The blood of Jesus paid for you to be free. If there's anybody in here that's still basing whether you're going to heaven or hell on your own good works, that's not how it works. It doesn't work that way. You have to come to God recognizing His love. Jesus said, when I am high and lifted up, I will draw all men to me. When Jesus was lifted up on that cross, we see the greatest love. Greater love is no man than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. And he's saying, I laid it down for you. Now will you give me your life so that I can take it up? We can walk this thing out together. And you can, I can, I'll pour my love into you and you can pour your love into this world. And we'll make that circle. We'll score. You've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Is there anybody in here by raising your hand would say, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I want to know that I have a home in heaven. I want to make my life count. I want to follow you, Jesus. Anybody, raise your hand that feels that way, that has not asked Jesus. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior right now. He's not the master of your life. I'll ask another question. That precious blood of Jesus Christ, isn't it precious? Will we just trample through the blood of Jesus Christ and count it of no worth? If He cared enough to give His life, shouldn't we care enough to tell somebody? An atheist said, how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them? The little boy said, Daddy, don't people die and go to hell when it's raining? What are we waiting on? What is our excuse for not inviting, not doing, sharing how we know to share, whatever we have to share? We're in covenant with God. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Covenant means whatever I have is yours. You said that to Jesus. You cannot be my disciples unless you take up your cross and follow me. Is there anybody in here? Don't raise your hand, but would say, I'm not giving my all. In fact, I'm not hardly giving anything as far as the gospel. I, I go to church thinking what I can get, not what I can give. I, I, I haven't seen myself as a, a tool in God's hands to advance the kingdom. I haven't seen... Well, you haven't discovered your purpose yet. You don't know why you're on the earth. And I pray that God would enlighten your heart right now to know that there's, your life is about more than just saving up as much stuff you can and living the last 10 years of your life on retirement. Your life matters, every second of it. What are we waiting for? Start where you're at. Put your hand to the plow and see if God won't lead you into greatness. may not be great in somebody else's eyes, but it'll be great in your eyes, I can assure you. There's no feeling like being able to surrender, to lift your hands to God and say, I am yours. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I plead with you brothers and sisters let's make a firm decision here today that we'll not leave the way we came in my life is yours 
Father, I thank you for these people. They're no different than people in any other church in any other city in America or any other city in the world. On the plains of Africa, we're people, Father God. And we struggle with understanding. We struggle with fear. We struggle with so many things that, that hold us back. The devil has got, got strongholds. And, and Father God, I pray that this church would break those strongholds down, those barriers those things that keep us from seeing what our purpose and design and our destiny is. Father God, I thank you for what you're revealing to us about who and what and where and how we're going to do this and where we're going. These are important things, Father God. They're not just words on a banner. It is what we will be found doing when you come back. That is our heart, to do what you want us to do. I know these people are excited. I've seen, I've seen your love glimmering in their eyes. Father God, we surrender as a body, as a church. Your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, stand to your feet. It's a lot better than standing to your elbows. Let's see. Brother Nicholas, I appreciate that scripture you sent this morning, 1 John 4, 11. Would you close us in prayer this morning? Just, just pronounce a blessing over the people and, and close us. to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.